can blame him. He's my son-in-law. So, my name is Troy Nesbitt, and I'm actually one of the pastors at Cornerstone Church in Ames. We had the privilege of sending Rob and a team here a few years back in 2018, and it's pretty exciting what God is doing here. In fact, now we have 20 churches in the SALT network, 21 SALT companies in 11 different states, and I would invite you to pray this weekend because over 3,500 college students from around the nation actually will gather in Des Moines, Iowa for the SALT conference, and we're super excited to see what God is going to do there. One of the things that we'll be doing is challenging all of the students to actually consider giving their lives to being a part of a church plant like Doxa Church. As you know, we're going to be planting in Ann Arbor next year with David Livingston and his team. Several of you have already decided to go there. What a miracle that is. What a blessing that is. Go Blue. So much fun. Uh, But we're also going to be planting at Illinois State. If you want to move to Bloomington Normal, you could certainly help with that church plant. Or if you really want to be risky, go all the way out to Syracuse, New York, where we're also going to be planting our first church in New York State. So that is pretty exciting. One of the things that happened this last weekend when our church planter was there, he actually had a connection with another Christian minister on campus who had a connection with Jim Behine. And so he got to actually go to Jim Behan's house and meet his mom and his son. And I thought, I am so jealous. Are you kidding me? Anyway, I digress. Uh, your pastors thought it would be good not to have a guest speaker preaching on the judgment of God out of Genesis 18 and 19. And so they gave me the opportunity to preach just a psalm. So we're going to be talking about Psalm 19. So get out your Bible or your app or whatever you have to get yourself into the Word of God. And we're going to be looking at what C.S. Lewis said is the greatest literary work of all time. And it's this psalm, Psalm 19. Let's get in it together. David writes... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, and night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, yet their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from its home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and it circles to the other end and nothing is hidden from his heat. David loved creation. And as a shepherd, when he looked out into the skies, he would say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And as a shepherd, when he looked out into the fields, he would say, the fields declare the glory of God. And he says, all of creation declares. And since we're in Doxa Church, shall we not, shall we use uh, our Latin word? The heavens declare the doxa of God. And he was overwhelmed. But listen to what he said. Creation doesn't have speech. No words, no voice, and yet their message has literally gone out to the end of the earth. You know what David is talking about? He's talking about what I call wow moments. Oh, you've had these. If you've ever stood on the lip of the Grand Canyon, when you got your first glimpse, you probably said, If you've ever been up in the Rocky Mountains or hiked up to the top of a peak 
and looked out over other mountain ranges, you cannot help yourself. You probably will say, wow. Or if you've ever been up north where there's not much light pollution and saw the northern skies and the northern lights as they burst forth with arrays of brilliance and color as you glare into the sky, you cannot help yourself. You just will exclaim, wow. And maybe sometime here in Wisconsin when you see the sunrise in the morning or the sunset in the evening and you see the brilliance of the rising sun in the sky or the setting sun in the sky, you are overwhelmed and you cry out in worship, maybe not even knowing what you're doing, you let out a wow. Or if you've ever been in the ocean and plunged your head under the water, maybe with a snorkel, and, and a mask, I would recommend that. And you see the life and beauty below the surface of the ocean. You maybe will blow up bubbles through that snorkel that goes up to God. Wow! I call those wow moments. Or if you've ever been out to California and seen the brilliant sequoias, the redwoods that you can drive your car through, you cannot get close to one of those ancient, over 3,000-year-old trees without saying, wow. David was constantly seeing the wow of God in creation, and he was saying creation is declaring the doxa, the glory of God. And he uses a term for God. He says, The heavens declare the glory of El, the Hebrew name for the God that is, the God of creation. And David was constantly writing and talking about this. And he says, a righteous man who walks in the word, he's like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. Whereas the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind just blows away. And you may be familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And he talks about green pastures because he saw the wow of God in green pastures as a shepherd and still waters where you could get a wonderful drink. And even the valleys of the shadow of death, David in creation was always wowing at the magnificence of God. But he said, in creation, the sun is the most awesome. He was blown away by the sun. You see, he said, it's like an engaged dude coming out of his house right before he's going to get married. You know the look, guys. Or it's like a premier athlete getting ready to run his race. The sun is like that. It rises from one end of the heavens, and its setting is at the other. He was saying, wow, the sun is awesome. But I have a question for you this morning. What do you think David would write about if he knew what we now know about the heavens? I'm going to review some stuff that I know you know, but David didn't know these things. But I think he would have been wowed by them. For example, the sun is 93 million miles from the earth. That's a long way. In fact, I did some calculation, I actually just looked on the web, it says that if you were to get in a jet and fly 400 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, it would take you 20 years to arrive from the earth to the sun. That's a long flight. And jets go pretty fast. We also have discovered that light travels at the rate of 186,282 miles a second. 
So light from the sun takes eight minutes to get to earth. So when you see the sunlight and it hits your eye, that sunlight is eight minutes old. Wow. We also have learned that light travels six trillion miles in a year. That's a one or a six with a whole bunch of zeros. Can you get your mind around that? We call that what? What light travels in a year, we call it what? Help me, college students. Oh, we call it a light year. All of us knew that. We just didn't want to shout it out. Okay? It's one light year. You know the northern star? The north star that you can see in the north skies? If you've studied any stars at all, if you laid on your back and someone taught you a little bit about... The north star is called what? Polaris. There's a student that remembers something. Polaris. Check this out, guys. Polaris is 320 light years away. And Polaris is 46 times bigger than our sun. Wow. So you know what that means? When you see light from the North Star, when that light hits your eye, that light was generated over 320 years ago. Wow. And the North Star? Oh, it's just one of over 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. Astronomers project that our galaxy is over 2 million light years across. And our galaxy, which is an average-sized galaxy, is only one of over 100 billion galaxies. Wow! You can't get your mind around that. All of creation is declaring the glory of God. And as David marveled at creation, he was overwhelmed by the wow that he understood. And how much more so would he be overwhelmed with a little bit more knowledge that we have today? He didn't know that our earth was spinning at 1,000 miles an hour and orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. While you sit there, you're going very fast. He didn't know that if we were one degree closer to the sun, we would burn up in an instant. If we were one degree further from the sun, we would freeze in an instant. But had he known that, what we can know today about the orchestrating and fine-tuning of the universe by the hand of God, he would say, wow, wow, and he would write something that would be overwhelming. Guys, the Hubble telescope, which launched over 30 years ago, is now obsolete, and they have a new one, James Wade Space, James Webb Space Telescope. It's 100 times as powerful as the Hubble telescope. Wow. What are we going to discover? Oh, and don't get me started about microscopic stuff. Or animals. I really like animals. Oh, man, if you don't get wild by animals, you get something broken. Okay, just, we'll, go, we'll take one thing, for example. You know, coronavirus is a living thing. It's actually a virus that needs a host. It needs to connect to something. If it connects to us, we get sick. Many of us die, right? So we don't want to get that. But did you know in Iowa... We love our white-tailed deer. They tested 97 white-tailed deer in Iowa. How many of you think? How many of them you think had COVID? Oh, 80. 
80 of the 97 had COVID, and what effect does it have on them? Nothing. <laughs> right? So we should all become deer and not worry about COVID, right? <clears throat> no, that doesn't work. It's, it's not connected to the message. Let's go on. David says, creation tells us that there's a creator God. But he goes on and he says but that creation doesn't tell us who God is or what he wants from us. It can help me know that there is a God, but it doesn't actually communicate to me specifically about who he is. And so he gets into verse 7, and here's what he says. The instructions of the Lord, they're perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. You see, six times David moves from the Hebrew word El, the heavens declare the glory of God, to the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name which God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush when God said to Moses, take off your shoes, I'm, you're on holy ground. Moses said, who are you? What is your name? And he said, Yahweh, I am that I am. And here David is saying, no, God has let us know that he is through creation but he's letting us know specifically who he is and who we are and how we relate to him in his revelation. God has revealed himself to us in his word. The shift from God to Yahweh. It's the personal name by which God has made him known. Through written revelation, we could know and follow Jesus. And through it, look what he says, verse 7. I understand the meaning of my life. Also in verse 7, I understand wisdom for living. In verse 8, I know the secrets of joy. I have hope for the future. In verse 9, I can have confidence in eternity. And I can have a right relationship with God. Isn't that what we want? Isn't this what we need? How do we get that? From the revelation of the word of God. David was blown away by God's word. And in fact, if creation was a favorite topic of his, I'm telling you what was greater topic of his was writing about the revelation of God. Are you familiar with Psalms? You know about it, right? It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's the biggest book in your Bible. There are 150 chapters, and David has written many of them, just a little over half. But he actually wrote the longest one. Anybody know which one that is? It's not Psalm 19, but Psalm what? 119, and it's how many verses? A lot. That's right. You get a B for that. You would get the A if you would have said 176. And it's actually rooted in the Hebrew alphabet. You guys know that. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalmuth, Wisconsin. Anyway, we don't know the Hebrew alphabet, but David actually taking the alphabet that he knew wrote eight verses in poetic form for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It'd be like us writing A, B, C, D, and then things about the word of God that relate to him so that people could memorize that psalm in every verse about the power and impact of the revelation of God's word. He loved it. Look what he says in verse 10. Your word, it's more desirable than gold. Anybody motivated by money? Anybody make any decisions in life based on money? 
What David is saying is your word is more motivating to me than money. It is the most precious thing that there is, and it's not just gold, it's pure gold, and it's not just pure gold, it's an abundance of pure gold. In other words, your word is more valuable to me than a pile of money. And he goes on and he says, and it's sweet too. It's sweeter than the sweetest thing I can imagine, honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. I said I like animals. I, I like them all, literally, all of them. I don't. I like some more than others. Uh, cats, I could do without, but big cats are good. Um, but even bees. Do you know how cool bees are? It is unbelievable what bees do. They live their life to make honey, and a bee can fly over fifty-five thousand miles in his lifetime, and then it doesn't live that long—like forty-five days. That's a lot of bee flying. And it takes 768 bees just to make one pound of honey for us, a 16-ounce jar that we actually can consume. And did you know this? That if you consume honey, you should only consume local honey because if you consume local honey, it'll help you with your local allergies because the bees are oriented by God to take pollen out of those flowers and their honey actually will help you with your allergies that are local. So if you eat Florida honey, let me just tell you, those flowers aren't the same ones as Wisconsin honey, so you won't get your help with your allergies. So I don't know, just something to think about. And I'm off on bees now. Let's get back to our text. Verse 11 says, because of your word, your servant is warned what not to do. And because of your word, when I keep them, I have abundant reward. David marveled at the word of God. But have you thought about this a minute? What would David have written about today? How much more would he be encouraging us about the revelation of God? You see, David... He had the law and the prophets. We have the law and the prophets. But we also have the gospels. And Acts. And the writings of the epistles, the letters of the disciples. The pastoral instruction. And the revelation of God, David wrote so much talking about the impact and the power of the law and the prophets. More precious than a pile of gold and sweeter than honey. And he didn't have the gospels, he didn't have the epistles, he didn't have acts, he didn't have revelation, he didn't have the pastorals. What would he have written about? How would he have encouraged us? To be men and women of the word of God. Oh, you see, David, he just had the inspiration of the spirit, which by he was able to write literally the words of God. But what do we have? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives in us. David had the promise of the Messiah that he longed for and looked forward to and wrote about. But what do we have? We have seen Jesus, and we know that he's conquered sin, and we know that he's conquered death in his resurrection. Guys, we have Christmas. 
We have Easter. What would David have encouraged us as children of God related to the word of God? Maybe in Psalm 1, rather than writing about a tree planted by streams of water, he would write like John did, if you believe in me, you will literally have streams of living water flowing from your inmost being. Maybe rather than writing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, maybe he would have wrote like John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd who conquered sin and death. And has totally set me free from its sting. Or maybe rather than praying as he often wrote about that God would destroy his enemies. Maybe he would just be praying and writing a prayer of gratitude for the victory that Jesus secured over sin at the cross. And the indwelling of his Holy Spirit that gives him life. Think about the Psalms he would write today. Wow! Wow! David... Marveled at creation. It drew him to the Creator. David worshiped God who was revealed to him in Scripture. But look how he concludes this psalm. It's very interesting to me. You think, oh, oh what's next? This is a progression going on here. He almost takes a hard left. Verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. You see what David knew? He knew the problem with God was not a problem with God. His problem with God was a problem with him. It was his sin that was keeping him from fully engaging with God. I heard a pastor say one time, if you don't feel as close to God as you once did, guess who moved? Because God is declaring with creation that he is all-powerful and he's created in us a desire to worship which gives us wow moments and he's revealed his word to us and he wants to draw near to us by revealing himself in his word and so if we're not close to him David is saying clearly what is it that puts distance between me and God it is my sin it is my brokenness and you see what he says who can perceive his unintentional sins cleanse me from my hidden faults sins that I commit even when I'm not meaning to do you have that problem? <laughs> and sins that I hide and cover even when I know I've done it. And he said, and that's not all. There are sins that I know I shouldn't do, and I do it anyway. And in fact, those sins often become the defining ruler of my life. Can you relate to David's experience? So many of us would love to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Jesus. Would we not? 
a more intimate understanding of Him, a more familiar relationship with Him, a greater ability to know, love, and follow Him. But what keeps us from doing that if it's not Him? It's we also love something else. We love and cling to our sin. Here's what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 1. It says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and all unrighteousness of people who, look at this, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. In other words, their sin actually keeps them from acknowledging God. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he's made. But as a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking, their brains became worthless and their senseless hearts, their conscience were darkened. They were claiming to be wise and they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in their desires, the desires of the heart to impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served what was created instead of the Creator, who is to be praised forever. Are you familiar with the Psalms? David wrote Psalm 14 and he also wrote Psalm 53. And it's almost like he thought, well, that was good. So he wrote it again. It's just minor differences between 14 and 53. Or maybe he just forgot that he wrote it or he misplaced it and he thought, I've got to write this again because that was really good. Well, I don't know. But there are no other psalms like it. It's almost as though he wanted to emphasize this is real. This is powerful. You know what the opening sentence of Psalm 14 is? And the opening sentence of Psalm 53 is, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. The fool looks at creation and says, I don't know why I'm saying wow. There certainly can't be a creator. The fool is the one who looks at Revelation and says, I can't believe that. The fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. And David went on to write, why is this person a fool? And you know what he says in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53? Here's what he says. Maybe you've heard it before. There is none who does good. All have turned away. There is none who does good, not even one. You see, if God is perfect and creator and holy and he's revealed himself in the scripture and you have sin and you don't get that dealt with, you have to stand before that holy God and give an account to him. And sometimes when we get controlled by our sins, we don't want to get a, give an account to God. We just actually want to deny his existence. Paul picked up on David's Psalms and he said this, 
Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have gone our own way. The wages of sin, he said in Romans chapter 6, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. David, overwhelmed with creation and overwhelmed with the scriptures, what was he convicted about? He was convicted about the sin in his heart. And it was this David who God said, there's a man after my own heart. And it wasn't that he is sinless because we know his story and we know his psalms. He certainly was sinful. But he didn't deny his sin or deny God. He actually used his sin as an opportunity to say, I need God. And I love the last verse of this psalm. It's beautiful. Verse 14. It's almost like David, meditating on who God is, cried out to him in prayer. He knew he needed something bigger than himself to save him. And so he prays to God, verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a pretty big prayer. Proverbs says that when there are a lot of words, sin is unavoidable. So God help those who talk too much. Right? You ever sinned with your words? You have any siblings? You have parents? You have kids? You ever been married? You ever woke up and spoke words? You ever drove in this city? Right? So let me just depress you all with the words of Jesus. He's a red letter edition. Jesus said, Every word that comes out of our mouth, we will give an account of to God. Uh oh. I don't know about you, but if I had to pay for all my words, I'm done. But David took it deeper. He said, let the words of my mouth. So those things that you've heard that you know about. And then he said, and the meditation of my heart. My mom taught me. Well, she taught me. I didn't learn it. If you don't have anything good to say, help me. Just keep your mouth shut. But I'm telling you, there's been plenty of times that I've kept my words silent and my heart was railing with sin. How unbelievable would it be if actually the words of our mouth were absent of sin? Were words of encouragement and empathy and care and concern, words of love, words of inspiration, words that would give life and not bring death, actually words that would bless and not curse. How cool would that be? But we know something about our words, don't we? Jesus said, it is the overflow of the heart that causes the mouth to speak. And sometimes we can't capture the reality of our sinful hearts. And so we just blurt out something. But how cool would it be if the God of creation and the God of scriptures actually lived in our hearts and can transform our hearts 
So literally, the words that come out of our mouth are the reflection of our heart and the reality of who he is. That was David's prayer. God of creation, God of scripture, I want you to be the God of my heart. I am wowed by what you do. And he would be so much more wowed by what he could see that we see. He'd say, I'm wowed by the revelation of your word. And he would be so much more wowed by what we have. And how much more would he be praying this prayer? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. My rock and my redeemer. Can we pray that? Prayer of David together. Lord David wrote in Psalm, I believe, 8. When I consider the heavens, the moon and star which you have created, what is man that you're mindful of him? I believe it's in Psalm 17 that he answers that question by saying, Somehow, God, you've created us to be the apple of your eye. Those that are created in your image to give voice to worship in the wows. To actually embrace you or deny you. To be a fool or to submit. And I pray, God, that we would be found guilty in your presence, but not condemned that the guilt of our sin would cause us to repent and confess to you because you're faithful and you say that you will always forgive us and always cleanse us. And that you would purify the words of our mouth, but even more so, God, that you would change the motivation of our heart, that it would be pleasing to you because you are our rock, And you are our Redeemer. And we worship you. And our prayer is in the precious name of Jesus.